Welcome to the Way Ministries Bible Study with Pastor John. Tonight's study will be in the book of Job. We invite you to join us at 1 Oakley Avenue in North Providence, Rhode Island. This podcast is presented to you by the Way Ministries, supported by listeners like you. For donations, live videos, podcasts, and more, please visit www.thewayministriesri.org. Thank you and have a great day. Welcome to the Coming Out of the Dark Bible Study. I want to thank everyone for coming out tonight to get a portion of God's Word. First and foremost, let's thank our Lord and Savior tonight. <clears throat> thank you, Jesus, for your generous provisions that you provide for us each and every day, Lord. Thank you for saving us and giving us salvation, giving us a new purpose here on planet Earth, Lord. Saving us from ourselves, Lord, and doing for us what we could never, ever do for ourselves. We're eternally grateful. All glory and honor goes to our Savior. I'd like to thank the core of the ministry, one body. You know who you are to keep this all going. And if you do have a cell phone, can you please silence it <clears throat> so it doesn't disturb <laughs> tonight's service? And as always, we will start with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we're just so grateful and thankful for this beautiful day you've given us and this opportunity tonight, Lord, to gather together as your family to worship, to honor, to glorify you, Lord, and learn more and more about you, Lord, and your ways, Lord. Like I always say, let us make your ways our ways, Lord, and help us to get rid of our ways, Lord, by crucifying our flesh and living in newness of life in the Spirit, Lord, as the Spirit is willing but the flesh is weak, Lord. Help us to feed our spirit over our flesh each and every day, Lord, so we can get stronger in the spirit, Lord, and we can finally put that flesh to rest someday, Lord. We're just grateful for all the grace and mercy you give us to do that, Lord, and to do your will and to continue to do your will, Lord. Thank you for your generous provision of salvation, Lord, as a gift, Lord, that we don't have to earn, but help us to honor that with a life worthy of the call, Lord, so we can see you in everything, Lord. Even in the good, the bad, the ugly, Lord, let us be discerning, knowing good from evil. We pray for the people that are sick and suffering, Lord, that there's a purpose in everything that you do. Let them realize that you're with them. You'll never leave them nor forsake them, and there's a reason for everything you do. And we pray for the message to go beyond the four walls tonight, Lord, and give someone salvation out there that's in need of Jesus tonight, Lord, as your word goes forward and always produces what it wants to, Lord. Let us always be willing vessels to honor you, not to dishonor you, Lord. And as always, let everyone be led by your spirit tonight and not our flesh. And it's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray. Amen and amen. All right, we're going to stand and worship the Lord.
in you. Sometimes he's not going to move the mountains. Sometimes he's not going to give us what we want. And we're still going to trust him. The book of Job, we're learning what he's telling, what he said to about God when God took everything from him. He said, are we only to accept good from God and not evil? He thanked God for good and for the good he had. But you know, it's hard. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I get any men here. We know the battle. All right, let's go to Ephesians 5. This is really, I love this chapter. So we're going we're gonna to back way up to verse 1 on this one. We're going all the way through this one. The Bible tells us as believers in Jesus Christ that we ought to no longer live in darkness, but to turn from that and live in the light. And that's what the whole process of sanctification is all about. And he gives us plenty of matchless grace and tender-hearted mercies to accomplish that. 
So we never give up. It says in verse 1 of Ephesians 5, as the Holy Spirit will be taken over, try to clear your mind of the day and the world so you can get a crystal clear message through God's word from his spirit. And he's trying to say to the church tonight, amen? So he's speaking to us directly right here and right now. Living in the light. Imitate God, therefore, in some of the things I do. Oh, it says, in everything I do. Because why? Because you are his dear children. Not because it's a condition, not for any other reason, but because we're his children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. So Jesus Christ is our example, and we're learned to follow him. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, as a, ple a pleasing aroma to God. Now it tells us in verse 3, let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes. These are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Now it says in verse 6, a lot of people are fooled. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Can I get an amen here? Don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So, because you have the light, so live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. That's why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Now, all of this is accomplished by living by the Spirit's power. See, we can only do this by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't accomplish any of that in the flesh. We already understand that. So that's why we have to grow spiritually so we can accomplish God's will for our lives. How about a big amen on that one? But a lot of this isn't taught in church. Unfortunately, it's not taught. This has to be taught in church. God called us to live in the light, not in the darkness. So be careful how you live. It says it right here. Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Well, they knew that back then, right? And that still applies today. It will ruin your life. And what does it say? Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
What does that mean? Instead of getting drunk and doing all the outward things, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? It means to be filled with the Word of God. So the Word of God is what what? Gives you that comfort now. You don't have to go to Southern Comfort anymore. You go to the comfort of the Word of God. How about a big amen there? Because we're, we're trying to comfort our spirit now, not our flesh. We're trying to kill our flesh. So getting drunk with wine doesn't kill our flesh. We already know what that does. It actually awakens our flesh. So that's why he tells us not to do it. Now, is there anything wrong with drinking? I make no opinion about it here or not, but I know it, that uh, what's, what's on the fence with that? You know, you want to have a couple of drinks with your meal, yeah, one thing, but why are you drinking is the whole purpose. If you're drinking to get escape from life, then that's where Jesus comes in, not wine. Can I get an amen here? So you know what? Me personally, I just stay away from it altogether because I don't know where the fence is. You go too much, you're over the top. So this, it says don't be drunk with wine because it'll ruin your life. So liquor, alcohol, beer, whatever you want to call it, will ruin your life if you continue drinking it. So that's that physically and spiritually. Now look at verse 19. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. How about a big amen there? All right, we're not going to go any further there, but that's awesome right there, right? It tells us to live right. Don't get drunk. Do the right thing. Just imagine you're going to go tell people about Jesus, but you're drinking and intoxicated, and you're going to be telling people about Jesus. Does that make any sense to you? No. He tells us to be clear-headed, be alert, be vigilant. So we're not, because that clouds your mind. Big amen there. Why stay on the fence with it? Just don't, don't bother with it. You want something to drink, drink some nice lemonade or something, like grape juice. So it's all the same thing. Get drunk on Jesus. Get on his word. People get on the fence with that all the time. I'm all set with that. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once the flesh starts feeling something, it wants more of it. And it's all over. So why, why play around with it? All right, let's go. We're going to go into the book of Job. Does anybody know where it's beginning tonight? Very smart. <laughs> all right. I just want to give us a little analysis as we, before we go on so we get a good insight of what's going on here. The interaction, okay, between Job and his friends illustrates the painful irony of his situation, okay? Our knowledge that Job's punishment is the result of a contest between God and Satan contrasts with Job's confusion and his friends lecturing as they try to understand why Job is being punished. The premise of the friends' argument is that misfortune only follows from evil deeds, Bildad instructs Job, if you are pure and upright, surely then God will rouse himself for you. And he later goads Job to be a blameless person in chapter 8, verse 6 and 8.20. The language in these passages is ironic. Since the unbeknownest to Job or his, Job's friends, God and Satan do in fact view Job as blameless and upright. What did God say to Satan? Have you seen my servant Job? He's blameless and he's upright. And his friends are saying, no, he's not blameless and all. He must be doing some kind of sin. That's why he's getting punished. God said he was blameless and upright. So we understand that people don't have the, we don't know why people suffer. We don't know. Only God knows. Okay? 
This contrast shows the folly of the three friends who ignored Job's pain while purporting to what? Encourage him. The interaction also shows the folly of trying to understand God's ways. Okay? <laughs> the three friends and Job have a serious theological conversation about a situation that actually is simply a game between God and Satan. Okay? The fault of Job and his friends lies in trying to explain the nature of God with only the limited information available to human knowledge. As God himself notes when he roars from the whirlwind, who is this that darkness counsel by words without knowledge? 38 chapter, verse 2. So after God. The dominant theme of Job is the difficulty of understanding why all powerful God allows good people to suffer. That's a question that goes on today. Why do good people have to suffer? Right? Job wants to find a way to justify God's action, but cannot understand why there are evil people who harm the childless woman and no, do no good to the widow, only be rewarded with long, successful lives, like he tells us in chapter 24, verse 21. Job's, Job's friends, including Elihu, say that God distributes outcome to each person as his or her actions deserve. Okay, as a result of this belief, they insist that Job has committed some wrongdoing to merit his punishment. Okay, God himself declines to present a rational explanation for the unfair distribution of blessings among men. He boasts to Job, have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this, 38.18. Remember at the end, God says, okay, where were you when I put this all together? You know me so well, how did I do this? Were you here? Did you see what I did? One of the chief virtues of the poetry in the Job is rhetoric. The book's the rhetorical language seems to produce an effect in the listener rather than to communicate a literal idea. God's onslaught of rhetorical questions to Job, asking if Job can perform the same things he can do, overwhelms both Job and the reader with a sense of God's extensive power as well as his pride. Sarcasm is also a frequent rhetorical tool for Job and his friends in their conversation. Okay, so we have to understand, everybody has it figured out, but, but, but none of them got it right, okay? They think that Job is being punished because he's bad, he took his family, and the Satan's saying, you're only doing, you're only, uh, um, Job's only being um, upright and into, um, has integrity because you're blessing him all the time. Take away all that, and he's going to curse you to your face. And it never happened. But no, no, don't get me wrong, Job had his complaints, okay? As we go into chapter 13, we're going to get into it a little bit deeper right now. All right, let's go to verse 1 in chapter 13. Everybody with me so far on this? All right, pay attention. Remember in the following chapters, the chapters before, he said, if there was only a mediator that could mediate for me, that I could get to God and talk about this. See, he didn't have Jesus. We do. Do we go to Jesus enough? That's the question. Job wants to argue his case with God. Verse 1, look, I have seen all this with my own eyes and heard it with my own ears, and now I understand. I know as much as you do, you are no better than I am. As for me... I would speak directly to the Almighty. I want to argue my case with God himself. As for you, 
You smear me with lies. As physicians, you are worthless quacks. That's what he's telling his friends. Okay, now listen. <laughs> A little sarcasm there, right? Now listen. Before we go on, Job compared his three friends to physicians who did not know what they were doing. Okay? They were like eye surgeons trying to perform open-heart surgery. Many of their ideas about God were true, but they did not apply to Job's situation. Okay, we already talked about this. They were right to say that God is just. Okay? They were right to say that God punishes sin. But they were wrong to assume that Job's suffering was a just punishment for his sin. They took a true principle and applied it wrongly, ignoring the vast differences in human circumstances. We must be careful and compassionate in how we apply biblical condemnations to others. We must be slow to judge. How about a big amen there? We always look around thinking we can judge why people are going through what they're going through, or they must be doing something to God, or they must be this, they must be that. We don't know. We have no idea. So guess what? Leave it alone. Pray for them. Don't talk about them. Build them up and encourage them. Because all of us, at one point or another, get discouraged on this walk and, and say things to God that we shouldn't. We all know that already. Why this happened to me? Why this and why that? I read my Bible, I come to church, why am I suffering? That's why you're suffering, because the devil hates you now, because you're, you're on God's side now. You're on God's side living in the devil's world. You think you're going to get blessed by the devil? No. You get blessed by material by the devil when you go against God's will. See, this is what happens with Christians. This, this is the danger of the prosperity message. The prosperity message teaches, well, look, God, you've got the blessings of Abraham. You, God owes you that for being one of his kids. But let me tell you something. When you take material blessings, they don't bring us closer to God. They bring us closer to idolatry, is what they do. They make us worship the things that he created over the creator. That's why most Christians don't get blessed materially, because they can't handle it. Because they're still in the flesh. So when they get blessed materially, oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, I don't have to go to church this week. I got what I wanted. And that's what happens. We walk away from God. And what does he do? He has to sweep it all from us again and break us back into church. So that's why he doesn't bless us materially. Some people get blessed materially because they use it to build God's kingdom. That's what the blessing is supposed to do. But when Satan blesses, they use it for their own selfish, self-centered ways, for their own investments and their own will to do what they want with the money. When God blessed them with the money to help the church out, can I get a big amen here? You can't outgive God. All right, now look at verse 5. If only you could be silent. That's the wisest thing you could do. Some of us can't keep silent, can we? Listen to my charge. Pay attention to my arguments. Are you defending God with lies? Do you make your dishonest arguments for his sake? Will you slant your testimony in his favor? Will you argue God's case for him? What will happen when he finds out what you are doing? Can you fool him as easily as you fool people? No. You will be in trouble with him if you secretly slant your testimony in his favor. Remember at the end? Job had to pray for his friends. 
Because God was going to judge him for getting it wrong. And he said it was going to happen. Doesn't, this, doesn't his majesty terrify you? Doesn't your fear of him overwhelm you? Your platitudes are as valuable as ashes. Your defense is as fragile as a clay pot. Be silent now and leave me alone. Let me speak and I will face the consequences. Why should I put myself in mortal danger? Or in Hebrew, why should I take my flesh in my teeth and take my life in my own hands? God might kill me, but I have no other hope. Imagine that. I am going to argue my case with him. So he's saying, the Lord might kill me for doing this, but I'm going to argue my case with him anyway. Because he didn't care less if he died or not at this point. Because he's suffering so much. He's saying, hey, what do I got to lose? I might as well argue my case. Might as well get the words in. If he's going to kill me, he's going to kill me. I'm, I'm dying anyway. <laughs> now look what it says in verse 16. But this is what will save me. Listen to what it says. This is what will save me. I am not godless. If I were, I could not stand before him. Listen closely to what I am about to say. And hear me out. I have prepared my case. I will be proved innocent. Who can argue with me over this? And if you prove me wrong, I will remain silent and die. Job asks how he has sinned. Oh God, grant me these two things and then I will be able to face you. Remove your heavy hand from me, and don't terrify me with your awesome presence. So he's telling God, please, Lord, take your heavy hand off me, because he knows that only God had to allow the devil to do that, so God had his heavy hand on him. So he understood that. He didn't blame the devil. See what he says there? Take your heavy hand from me, and don't terrify me with your awesome presence. Now summon me, and I will answer. Oh, let me speak to you, and you reply. See, he's calling God. See, God, come on. He's calling him out here. Imagine he's calling God out. Oh, boy. Tell me, what have I done wrong? Show me my rebellion and my sin. Why do you turn away from me? Why do you treat me as your enemy? Would you terrify a leaf blown by the wind? Would you chase, a dry, chase dry straw? You write bitter accusations against me and bring up all these sins of my youth. You put my feet in stocks, you examine all my paths, and you trace all my footprints. I waste away like rotting wood, like a moth-eaten coal. So he's thinking that God opened the books on him and said, okay, all your sins from when you were young, you're getting punished for every one of them now. Because now his friends are actually convincing him that he must have did something wrong for this to happen. His friends are putting in his ear that he must have did something wrong. You just might not know what it is. So he's getting, he's getting swayed in the wrong direction. See how other people can sway you, even make you believe something that you know that's not true? He was actually starting to side with them, saying it must have been something that I did. When it was nothing that he did. All right, let's go to chapter 14. Let's move right along here. Verse 1, how frail is humanity? How short is life? How full of trouble? Tell me about it, right? 
How short is life and how full of trouble is it? We blossom like a flower and then wither. Like a passing shadow, we quickly disappear. Must you keep an eye on such a frail creature and demand an accounting from me? Who can bring purity out of an impure person? No one. You have decided the length of our lives. You know how many months we will live. And we are not given a minute longer. So who's the one who decides whether we live or we die? You can get treatment. You can go to the hospital. If God says it's your time, nothing is going to work and you are going to go die and you're going to die. There's people that get the same treatment and recover and people get the same treatment right next to them and never recover and die. Who makes the decision? Not the doctor. God does. He's the one. He simply works through the physician. If you know that Jesus works through us, right? So Jesus works through a doctor's hands too to help heal people. But if their time is to come to die, if they're trying to live when God says it's your time to go, nothing's going to stop that from happening. Nothing. And we have to accept that. The good Lord giveth and the good Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And enjoy the time we had with the person or thing, whatever it might be. But we don't get mad at God when he takes something from us. That's not the right attitude. Now, so leave us alone, look at verse 6, and let us rest. We are like hired hands, so let us finish our work in peace. Even a tree has more hope. If it is cut down, it will sprout again and grow new branches. If you ever notice, you cut down a tree. If you don't get it all the way, you can see on the side, it tries to grow back again. Little, 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 little trees try to come back again. That's what he's trying to say. If it is cut down, it will sprout again and grow new branches. Though its roots have grown old in the earth and its stump decays, at the scent of water it will bud and sprout again like a new seedling. But when people die, <clears throat> their strength is gone. They breathe their last, and then where are they? As water evaporates from a lake and a river disappears in drought, people are laid to rest and do not rise again. Until the heavens are no more, they will not wake up nor be roused from their sleep. I wish you would hide me in the grave. In Hebrew, they call it Sheol. And forget me there until your anger has passed. But mark your calendar to think of me again. Can the dead live again? If so, this would give me hope to all my years of struggle. And I would eagerly await the release of death. You would call and I would answer. <laughs> and you would, you would yearn for me your handiwork. All right, before we go on, let's explain some of this. Is everybody with me so far in this? Oh, boy. We understand that the Holy Spirit, they didn't have that. They didn't have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. They didn't have the hope of salvation. They didn't have any of that. He's thinking, once I'm dead, I'm dead. I'm not coming back. All right, now listen. If only God would hide him with the dead and then bring him out again, if only he could die and live again. When we, when we must endure suffering, we have an advantage over Job. Now listen, we do. We know that the dead will rise. 
Christ rose, and we have hope based on his promise in John 14, 15, to mean that even in his gloom, Job hoped for the resurrection of the dead. He hoped for it. If this is true, then Job understood the one truth that could put his suffering in perspective. God's solution to believers who live in an unfair world is to guarantee life with him forever. Big amen there. No matter how unfair, listen now, your present world seems, God offers the hope of being in his presence eternally. Have you accepted this offer? See, we know that once we're out of here, when we wake up again, it's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. We have hope. We have hope. But even Job had hope of a resurrection there. He said, well, God would call me up again and I would come back. But we have the Savior. We didn't, Job didn't have what we have. So when we complain, we can go right to Jesus. And he's our advocate. And he, goes, he pleads our case before the Father. Job didn't have that. But let me ask you this. When your friends, when something's going on with you, do you try to help them and build them up and encourage them? Or do you say, you know what, you get what you get when you do what you do. You must be doing something wrong. The heart of God, the heart of Jesus isn't like that. He has compassion. We're supposed to weep with those who weep, be joyful with those who joy. With joy. That's how we know we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Can I get an amen here? We have to understand that. Now listen. Look at verse 16. For then you would guard my steps instead of watching for my sins. My sins would be sealed in a pouch and you would cover my guilt. But instead, as mountains fall and crumble and as rocks fall from a cliff, as water wears away the stones and floods wash away the soil, so you destroy people's hope. You always overpower them and they pass from the scene. You disfigure them in death and send them away. They never know if their children will grow, grow up in honor or sink in insignificance. They suffer painfully. Their life is full of trouble. Wow. Job is in, some bad, in a bad way right now, isn't he? He's like, oh, man. He's like saying, look, there's no hope here. There's no hope. <clears throat> now listen, the Old Testament doesn't say much about the resurrection of the dead, okay? This is not surprising because Jesus had not yet conquered death. We have to understand that. Job's pessimism about death is understandable. What is remarkable is this budding hope in 1422. Job's profound speech in this chapter illustrates a great truth. Knowing the right set of doctrines is not enough, okay? To know what to believe is not all that is required to please God. Truth, untested by life's experience, may become static and stagnant. Suffering can bring a dynamic quality to life that calm cannot. How about a big amen there? Just as drought drives the roots of a, deeper tree, a, a tree deeper to find water, suffering can drive us beyond superficial acceptance of truth to dependence on God for hope and life. So when, what he's trying to say is, when I'm suffering, does that drive me away from God or closer to God? As a Christian, you know when you go through suffering, I don't know about you, but I go closer to God because he's the only one that can relieve that suffering. The farther I go away from him, the more I'm going to suffer. So I go to God when I'm suffering, just like right now, like my knee's been bothering me constantly, but I know I've been praying for the Lord. Listen, Lord, please, 
Give me, give me, a, give me some reprieve from this. And, it, and he hasn't done it yet. So what do I do? Do I say, all right, Lord, I'm going to shake my fist. You're supposed to heal me. No, there's a reason why he's doing it. Maybe to slow me down, whatever it might be, to keep me humble. Remember, he retched out I, um, Jacob's uh, hip, right? He wrestled with God and he retched out his hip so he couldn't what? Go full force anymore. So we kept him limping. So maybe God's got me limping for a reason. Am I going to get mad at him? No. If he wants it to heal, it'll heal. If not, i got to live with it. What do I do? Am I going to get mad at him? No. It's going to get me closer to him. Even though, I, even though it bothers me, every morning I come and I kneel on that thing, even though it's painful, I submit myself to God humbly because he's the only one that can fix it. Can I get a big amen there? All right, let's go to chapter 15. We're moving right along here, aren't we? Okay, let me get a turbo shot here. <laughs> you know, it's been a long day. We uh, had to go to a funeral today. And um, it was in a uh, different denomination church. It was the, the ritual type of deal. And I'm, I'm sitting there, because I used to be involved with that at one time. So I'm sitting there listening, and it sounded like a bunch of robots. Um, you know, glory be to God, peace be with you, all these things. Everybody's saying the same thing over and over again. It was like robots. But none of them were getting fed the word of God. It was just a bunch of empty rituals, and it was just gone. It was crazy. So I'm glad, I'm glad, we're, I'm glad we found the right stuff, right? Thank you, Jesus, right? I didn't even realize until you're sitting outside looking in at it how much of a um, deception it is. It's got people like like they were like they were like mesmer they were like possessed. The way they were like mm-hmm. it's like wow. Like, it's almost like they were like hypnotized by it. Then the smell of that that uh, or that in whatever that stuff was the incense. I was like gasping in this. What is that? And I'm, I'm thinking, because I know the Bible, I'm saying, where's the Bible? Where's the biblical principle in any of this? There's not one biblical principle involved here. It was crazy. I'm saying, wow, no wonder why people can't, won't come out of it. They're like, they're like possessed by it. I'm glad I'm not there anymore. I'll tell you that. And I'm glad you're not either. It's very hard to take somebody over out of that. For some reason, they're like stuck. They're stuck in it. It's like a ritual type of... Uh, I'm just glad. It was, just, it was kind of scary, to be honest with you. I'm saying, wow, man, if I sit in long enough, I might get mesmerized by it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amen. Really looked like robots. It's crazy. All right, let's read chapter. Let's go in verse one. Let's put it this way: You're in the right place. Eliphaz's second response to Job. Then Eliphaz the Temanite replied, "A wise man wouldn't answer with such empty talk. You are nothing but a windbag. Nice, good friend, huh?" 
All right. This guy just lost his whole family, got boils all over him, right? Lost his wealth, all his animals, everything, his, his whole living, lost everything that he owned, and he's what? He's nothing but a windbag. Remind me of not having any friends like that. The wise don't engage in empty chatter. What good are such words? Have you no fear of God, no reverence for him? So now he's not looking in, but he's looking outward. But this guy don't have any fear of God. Because he's the one saying that he knows God better than him. Now look, your sins are telling your mouth what to say. Your words are based on clever deception. Your own mouth condemns you, not I. Your own lips testify against you. Were you the first person ever born? Were you born before the hills were made? Were you listening at God's secret counsel? Do you have a monopoly on wisdom? What do you know that we don't? What do you understand that we do not? On our side are aged, gray-haired men much older than your father. Is God's comfort too little for you? Is his gentle word not enough? What has taken away your reason? What has weakened your vision? Or why do your eyes flash with anger? In Hebrew it reads, why do your eyes blink? That you turn against God and say all these evil things. Can any mortal be pure? Can any born of a woman be just? Look, God does not even trust the angels or the holy ones. Even the heavens are not absolutely pure in his sight. How much less pure is a corrupt and sinful person with the thirst for wickedness? He said, how much less pure is a corrupt and sinful person, he's telling Job this, with a thirst for wickedness. <clears throat> Tell me they're not possessed right now because they know Job all his, all his life and how good of a person he was, a man with integrity. Now they're calling him what? A thirst for wickedness. You see when the devil gets in, what he can say? How he can possess? Now these, these people think that they got God right. All right, in verse 15 and 16, even the heavens are not absolutely pure in his sight. Eliphaz was repeating his argument that anything created, including angels and people, <clears throat> is not a sufficient basis for trust and hope. Only in God can we have certainty. That's true. All right, look at verse 17. If you will listen, I will show you. I will answer you from my own experience. Here we go. And it is confirmed, look, it's confirmed by the reports of wise men who have heard the same thing from their fathers. So it's not confirmed by God, it's confirmed by wise men who have heard the same thing from their fathers, from those whom the land was given long before any foreigners arrived. The wicked ride in pain throughout their lives. Years of trouble are stored up for the ruthless, now, that's not true either, because you see wicked people out there right now prospering. They make, they're doing better than the, than the believers are. They're out there making millions of dollars. They, they're out, their lives are beautiful down here. 
And why? Because let me tell you something. Satan will bless so they never come to Jesus. They never come to Jesus because there's no brokenness. If there's no brokenness, what do I need a savior for? I think it was that movie, um, was it God's Not Dead? When the son went to his mother, she's, she had dementia. Here you follow Jesus and look at you. And look at me successful. And his mother just woke up for a second and said to him, sometimes the devil will blind your eyes so you can't see a need for God. So he never comes to God. So just imagine, we're blessed to have, to come to God. All right. The sound of terror, all right. The, the wicked writhe in pain throughout their lives. Years of trouble are stored up for the ruthless. The sound of terror rings in their ears. And even on good days, they fear the attack of the destroyer. They dare not go out into the darkness for fear they will be murdered. They wander around saying, where can I find bread? They know their day of destruction is near. That day terrifies them. They live in distress and anguish. Like a king preparing for battle, they shake their fists at God, defying the Almighty, holding their strong shields, they defiantly charge against him. These wicked people are heavy and prosperous. Their waist bulge with fat. Yeah. There it is. They found it. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. It's, it's really hot. That's what it is. And the, and the temperature and the humidity. And the devil. That's the first time that's ever happened. So you already know. We already know. We already know who's in the house. What he tries to do is cause a distraction so we don't comprehend what I was just talking about. Because once you get distracted, it's hard to get refocused again. Exactly. You know what he does. That's the truth. It's nothing but a distraction. All right. Verse 30. They will not escape the darkness. The burning sun will wither their shoots and the breath of God will destroy them. Let them no longer fool themselves by trusting in empty riches, for emptiness will be their only reward. So what you're saying, all your riches come up empty. Let them, let, for emptiness will be their only reward, because at the end, you still come up empty without Jesus. The end of life. They will be cut down in the prime of life, their branches will never again be green. They will be like a vine whose grapes are harvested too early, like an olive tree that loses its blossoms before the fruit can form. For the godless are barren, their homes enriched through bribery will burn. They conceive trouble and give birth to evil, their womb produces deceit. Wow. All right, we're going to close there, but then I just want to reiterate a little bit here. All right, in verses 1 to 35, this whole chapter, with the first round of talks concluded, each friend, in the same order, pressed his argument further. Again, Job answered each argument. This time, Eliphaz was more rude, more intense, and more threatening. But he said nothing new. 
his first speech in Job 4.5, he began by saying that Job's words were empty, okay, and useless, that he restated his opinion that Job must be a great sinner. According to Eliphaz, the experience and wisdom of their ancestors were more valuable than Job's individual thoughts. Eliphaz assumed that his words were as true as God's. He thought his words were just as true as God's words. It is easier to spot his arrogance. He thought he, was, he had God figured out, like most people. There's spiritual pride in the church today to think they got God figured out. Let me tell you something. As much as I've been studying and reading the Word of God, I am not even close to figuring God out. Not even close. Because you can't figure God out. God is supernatural. God is supernatural. What do you think a fake life is all about? We can't figure out the way he does things or why things happen to people. But he knows better. He knows he's the alpha and the omega. He knows exactly from the beginning to the end. And he knows exactly what he's doing. And we don't. So wouldn't it be wise to just trust in his ways over ours? Absolutely. All right, we're going to close there. Dave, you want to come up and close us? Lord, thank you for this beautiful day, Lord, and this beautiful church that we have to gather together each week and hear your word, Lord. Lord, we're just so grateful and thankful to have such an amazing congregation that's so faithful and dedicated to serving you and others, Lord, and a pastor that not only loves you but the church, Lord, and also preaches the truth in your word, Lord, and not just those grace and mercy messages, Lord, but these tough convicting messages the messages that we need to hear if we truly want to grow in our walk with you, Lord. Lord, I just pray that you continue to watch over us, the church, congregation, Lord, and those who might be sick, not feeling well, or just might be going through a tough time, Lord, that you would touch their hearts, just reassure them you'll never leave them or forsake them, and that you're with them always. And I pray this in your holy, precious name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, Dave. All right, we're going to close. We're going to watch a video.